Hi, I'm Alex Bellinger and this is Small Biz Pod on Monday the 9th of March. Well, thanks to all of you for your patience. The podcast is here at last and it's a cracking podcast too, so I'm sure you will enjoy it. Uh, Coming up, we focus this episode on franchising with an interview with really the godfather of British hairdressing, the godfather of British franchising, uh, Tony Mascolo of Tony and Guy fame, that amazing global hairdressing brand. And I have a great chat with Tony uh, just before he went on to speak at an event at the British Library a couple of weeks ago. Tony, of course, a franchisor. And we talk about how he franchised his business model, the specific ways that he did that. But we also talk to Atul Patuk, who is one of McDonald's uh, most successful British franchisees. So talk to, talk to Atul about the other end of the spectrum, about setting up a business as a franchisee. As the economy shakes, as more and more people are being made redundant, some with large uh, payouts potentially, franchising could prove to be a popular way for people to set up on their own. So a timely look at the subject and two great interviews. I've also got a, a listener book review coming up. David Schoolman reviews Finance on a Beer Mat. And uh, if you want to review a book, don't forget, just drop me an email at alex at smallbizpod.co.uk. I will send you a book on business to review. All you've got to do is send back a five-minute audio review of the book like David has done and like many others before him. So that's really cool. Always love your contribution. So thank you, David, and thanks to all who have submitted book reviews thus far. I've also got coming up at the end of the episode another classic piece of kind of hybrid electronica. I know you, lots of you enjoyed the one that came in last episode. This, I think, almost matches it, so stay tuned for that. Just before we go straight into those interviews, a couple of kind of thank yous. First of all, a big thank you to all of the people who've joined the Small Biz Pod Facebook group. Well over 1,500 of you now out there. A great group of startup small business owners, entrepreneurs, and random people like me. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so it's really, really cool. Um, A lot of people there. If you haven't joined the Facebook group yet, do uh, click on the little Facebook box on Small Biz Pod's homepage at smallbizpod.co.uk and uh, tell your friends. It'd be great to see. The more the merrier. Um, and there's a, a really good group of people there now, so that's great. And finally, just before we go into the interviews, I wanted to say a really, really, really big thank you to Rackspace, who are sponsoring Small Biz Pod this month. And I'm really happy that Rackspace is sponsoring the podcast because... Uh, they're a company that, that I and Small Biz Pod really have first-hand experience with. Um, and to put it bluntly, I reckon they rock. They really are a seriously good web hosting company. Um, what do they do? Well, fantastic web hosting backed by what they call fanatical support. And I have to admit, I always thought when I heard that, you know, fanatical support, that that was just serious piece of marketing hype. But I went through, and Small Biz Pod went through, some serious problems with hosting about 18 months ago, uh, a really flaky shared hosting service. And I I was tearing my hair out. The site kept going down. Uh, It was just proving really impossible. Uh, And when your business is focused on a website like ours is, it's vital that the website stays up. 
Um, so I decided after much thought to go with Rackspace. They were a bit more expensive, but in they sort of proved themselves straight away uh, in the move because it's quite you know small pod's quite a complicated site. In the move across. Uh, their support guys were really, really outstanding and got everything set up. And they have been ever since. Um, so, you know, whenever there's been a problem, it was just a minor thing here or there, uh, they're there 24-7. You can get hold of a Rackspace engineer or get on the case immediately and in most cases resolve it really, really quickly. Um, and the fact that you get a kind of one-hour guaranteed turnaround if any hardware on your server breaks down and that also Rackspace guarantees 100% network uptime means uh, that they really do offer a kind of peace of mind, reliability, and and outstanding customer service. They live up to that fanatical customer service uh, reputation. So really, really happy to uh, have Rackspace on board. Uh, of course, there are cheaper options out there, uh, but as more and more businesses are relying on the web to sell products and services and to provide exceptional support to their customers via the web, if your web server is unreliable and you start losing sales or email or the goodwill of customers, that's really, really uh, bad. And it's really important to have a good host. So I think it's important to have complete confidence in your hosting provider uh, backed by that fanatical customer service. So do check out what Rackspace has to offer. They come highly recommended by me personally and by Small Biz Pod. Uh, so head over to smallbizpod at smallbizpod.co.uk, click on one of the Rackspace banners and see what they have to offer. So thanks, Rackspace. And thank you too. You know, support our sponsors and support SmallBizPod. If you do both, you're doing a good job. So thanks. I'm Tony Mascolo, Chief Executive of Tony and Guy. Now, uh, Tony, great uh, for you to speak to us at SmallBizPod today. We're sitting in the British Library, and you're about to speak at at an interesting event here dedicated to franchising. And we were just talking beforehand, and it turns out that you are, or the Tony and Guy was, the first franchise, in essence, in the UK. How did that come about? Well, what happened really is uh, in Tony and Guy was a very trendy type of uh, addressing company. Uh, we have moved from South London to uh, Central London, actually Davis Strait, and um, we obviously started doing a lot of um, uh, new haircuts, and we changed the um, the way of hairdressing, really. And I think this is what it's all about, isn't it? When you create something which is unique, everybody had um, the... Vidal Sassoon, like uh, one geometric cut, and suddenly we did the very feminine, very versatile, um, everyday use air cut, curly perms, and all, everything was well, trendy, and we just had the people queuing up to come in. Yeah, yeah so then in, in that, we then started doing a bit of seminar education, and we started getting a lot of offers and started traveling throughout the world, um, mostly Japan and uh, Southeast Asia, like places like Hong Kong, Singapore, mm. and then finally the United States. And of course, over there, it's, um, it was an amazing philosophy about the five-year plan to become a millionaire. Everybody yeah. was so excited and franchising. Yeah. So I looked at my business and looking at what I needed, I saw an um, easy way to expand where I had a, a brand yeah. and a and a good type of techniques. And with that, then you had to get all the things together, the education, which was uh, key. I yeah. mean, in those days, we had the four uh, sort of um, um, golden rules, education, education, education. Mm. I mean, 
back in the 70s, I was um, talking about that all the time, um, communication, motivation, and and the other one was teamwork. Those were the four important yeah. situations to do that. So we knew that we had to get the education done, the image right. Then little by little came everything else, the tools, the the scissors, the combs, and then the uniforms and so on. And what happened in those days was that, in reality, it's a lot of people have worked with me. You created what I call strong team, and we were busy, like, all the time, mm. queuing up mm. to go in there. But these guys came to a point that there was nowhere else to go because only one salon. Yeah. Yeah. And so some of them say, okay, I'll go to Australia. Yeah. Some give up hairdressing. And I saw the potential to say, well, why don't you open your own salon? We'll help you. We'll do yeah, 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 the image yeah. for you. We'll do yeah. the education, yeah. the training. We actually share all these costs together. And you can run your own business. Mm. And then became the versatility of, uh, of that because one is the franchise, the concept. The other one is the company. Yeah. So you can have 100% of the company, you can have 50%, you can have 85%, and so on and so forth. Is it true? I mean, I've heard it said that you are kind of, you're quite flexible in terms of your franchise terms, or have they kind of settled now? I mean, in terms of the way, the way you apply each franchise, do you, do you look at each potential franchise as an individual case, or do you have now a kind of set well, a deal for, for franchisees? Well, the set deal is, is what you pay for the franchise fee, which yeah. is, uh, you pay, I think it's £5,000. Yeah. Well, that £5,000 we pay, you pay the 5000 which does the pre-education. So before you open, we train all your staff, we help them to get the staff, train them and so on, and it's totally free of them. Yeah. Okay. Then after that, when they start um, um, really opening the salon, then their contribution is by paying a percentage of the turnover. Yeah. But that, that's yeah, the same no, that's, for everybody. Normal, yeah. But what is uh, flexible is the fact that you can have a um, situation where you can have part of the company, we can own part of the company, you can get somebody has to invest although at the beginning I didn't let them invest because it was so profitable that I didn't <laughs> yeah. feel it was right anybody to take advantage right. of it right. today's has changed the investment is good yeah. you can see what the back so that's what you've got to be flexible today yeah, I would yeah. say yeah bring investors in with cash yeah. because the banks are, are not supporting us as right much now, as they absolutely. did before yeah. uh, so that was then at the beginning and then you know i've gone through four recessions so i um i went the first one was the wilson one yes um which you had 50 pound to go abroad before your time yeah. <laughs> then after that we had the three day a week i, then, I remember the three day week just did you? Really? yeah yeah oh, okay. oh, you <laughs> were a lot younger than that <laughs> yeah then after that you had the 79 which wasn't too long and too bad. Mm. You know, I think it was at the time of the um, what's his name there? I can't think of his name. Oh, it was Callahan. Callahan. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, 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 I should yeah. know. So I've been to Downing Street a couple of times and looked on the staircase oh, yeah, of the yeah. um, Prime Minister's one. Uh, the '89 was quite bad. '89 to '91. I think literally overnight, like that, mm. someone would say to me. And this is the honest truth. It's come in and say to me, uh, is that cheap? Only that much? Are you sure you only charge me that little? The next time, oh, I'm sorry, Tony, I won't be able to come mm. and have my done anymore. I just can't afford it. It was that 
We don't know yet, do we? No, no, but, no. <laughs> but let me tell you what yeah. it is. What the problem is is disposable income, isn't it? Yeah. So you go back to the round circle because when we expanded, because disposable income came uh, was available in this country, which wasn't available in uh, after the first recession. Yeah. The first recession, you could have three or four or five salons, but if you had to go to uh, start going to Manchester, Birmingham, and so on, it was getting a bit on the edge. Then they became yeah. available. Then after that, Leeds and then probably Newcastle and the Southwest. And suddenly, yeah. everywhere was available yeah, because yeah. disposable income was everywhere. Yeah. Well, America had that bef lot before us. You could always expand much faster with that. Mm -hmm. Disposable income was much available then. Yeah. What do you do in a case like that? What would you be doing today, really, is... Uh, Nothing really much changes. You've got to give good value for money, yeah. good service. Yeah. Customer care is absolutely important. You've got to treat these people like fantastic and do the best they can, you can. Uh, I don't think you start reducing price to a level where uh, uh, it's, um, it's, it's silly because it uh, demeans your brand, but you've got to give the best possible value. Now, it's very interesting for this recession is that the main salons that we have, we actually took more money this year than last year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the salons which are not very good, where well, I'm saying they weren't as passionate and as focused, yeah. they suffered yeah. a lot more. Yeah. So that shows you that yeah, you've yeah. got to give the right service. And that ultimately comes down to, I mean, I know that you're, you're, I mean, you're, you're kind of like... Uh, uh, a typical Italian family in many respects. I mean, you, you, and family is really, really important to you. I know that your father was uh, a hairdresser or a barber, um, and I think maybe a generation before that was too, a surgeon barber, I've heard it said. Um, so uh, the, 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 the whole company is in the kind of family blood. Yeah. Where do you think you're... I mean, we, we, <laughs> what, were the, what were the things that made you successful as a hairdresser and what have made you successful as a, as a businessman, as a, as a franchisor? Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's in your blood and it's a natural thing, isn't it? Because you, I think addressing you in, in, enjoy meeting people. Yeah. I mean, in, at the beginning, there was the old ladies that come in and they felt instead of going to the hospital, would rather come to us and, uh, you know, make them feel better. Uh, that was then. Uh, and nothing much changes. People won't come in because they want to feel better. You meet people all the time. I mean, I've been hairdresser all my life, so it's, um, enjoy every minute mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. To me, it's not, it was always more was a hobby rather than <laughs> work. Yeah. Uh, because um, when I left Italy, I got to grammar school and I was doing Latin and Greek and all that type of thing. So I never thought myself uh, um, as a hairdresser. But when I started doing hairdressing, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed meeting people. I loved doing this. You know, like Gino Lola Bridge at Racer Car. And yeah, yeah. then I got paid and I thought, God, I got paid as well. <laughs> this is brilliant. And a yeah. tip on top of that. Yeah. So it all became like always a little bit of fun. Mm. And it remained that. So, you know, even today, I relax much more going to the salon on a Saturday and doing haircuts and meeting yeah. 
people and some of these guys I met them are down there forever yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's brilliant it's like one big family of mm. course you know those are the clients I do but then there is the siblings of all these clients are still coming to us well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's quite a I mean obviously it's when you're owning your own shop and running your own shop and you've got you know family and friends and, and, and close colleagues maintaining that family feel is one thing is there a conflict between maintaining that family feel and creating a kind of powerful brand that Tony and Guy has become in in franchise and hairdressing terms how do you how do you combine those two things the kind of friendly personal with the, the powerful brand well the two things are together because yeah. if you got a friendly and so on my daughter for example she's on GMTV she does um She's, we, we got a super brand twice. We got cool brand with London Fashion Week. She's been all the time through. Um, she's very creative. Uh, she has got a team which, um, full of love around each other. They work for each other. Uh, she's been uh, the, uh, address, uh, uh, British address of the year. This one bought it, uh, by the magazine. Um, she was the youngest ever London address of the year. And on top of that, she was also the youngest ever. Uh, newcomer address, British address of the year. So it, it's really in the blood. It yes. just, yes. just creates fashion and from that spills to products where she's, she can create an, 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 and, and, uh, um, sort of, uh, perfection, a product line. What companies would take three or four years. You can do it in three or four weeks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the color scheme, the packaging, everything yeah. else, and, and the actual product on it. So it all comes very natural, but it's all part of being a big family yeah. input. People want to love so how, what you're how does, how, does a, how does a franchisee of yours in Newcastle say, how do they feel part of your family, as it were? Well, they, it's very simple, because every hairdresser, every franchisee has been, most of them have been my juniors, Okay. Or my yeah. assistants, yeah. and they all worked for the company. Yeah. So, for example, if you have the young man in, in Japan, mm. uh, 1973 worked for me, 1979 went to Japan. Okay. Yeah, yeah, now, his yeah, two yeah. sons work for me. One is the top artistic director, oh, and he's yeah, a continuation yeah. of that. If yeah. you look at the one in Australia, Dennis, he was on stage with me when we launched the first product line. I won't tell you the name. And... Uh, <laughs> The new one is about that one. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we were all over Australia, and it took me 15 years to convince him to do a franchise. Some people uh, yeah, needed yeah, to yeah, have yeah, yeah. a lot of help. And um, so, do you, in terms of your the way you choose your franchises, you have to, you or your family have to have kind of worked with them before you say, "Yep, we yeah. trust this person. Let them have a shop." Absolutely, but yeah. then you don't say, oh, "Look, I want to go and open a franchise in." Um, for example, I think a uh, franchise in uh, Germany, now go over in Germany if you haven't got a German. No, 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 well, no. So, yeah. if yeah. you have a, a French car, if you get a Maltese, then unfortunately you've got to open the shop in Malta before you open in Germany. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Can you see what yeah, I mean? No, I because yeah. it's all yeah. part of the same. It's not, so, it's so a different type of franchise. Yeah. Well, I think this, is, this is where we get to the kind of yeah. the nuts and bolts of it, isn't it? Because it is a very different model. I mean, you know, a, a massive franchise. I mean, well, I mean, yours is a massive franchise, but I mean, a, but a kind of, um, corporate franchise, for want of a better word, rather than a family franchise, tends to just say, we're going to expand into Turkey, and they go in and they buy people and buy franchisees and, yeah. and roll it out, and it loses some of that personality, which obviously you've... You know, the retained. big ones in the same way, you know, because, yeah. I mean, I went to uh, Philippines, 
I've decided to go and do a show, and the um, distributor there, mm. he said, oh, he said, you know, from L'Oreal, mm. he said, oh, you know, he said, I had a very good business, and then, you know, they said to me, we make you an offer, you can't refuse, and we'll <laughs> buy, you become the managing director, and then we'll own the company. So that is another way that you can do it. Yeah. And the French did it. Even as big as they are, they did it at the beginning the right way. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to talk about them. Oh, no, no, no. You know, no but, no, no. you know, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. So yeah. there is, there even no matter how big ways. you are, you yeah. still have to do it. So you would possibly, some people would do it that way, yeah. which you could do in, if you want to go to Germany, you could effectively say, okay, let's look at which very good, um, uh, uh, sounds are over here, yes. and then say, well, look, how about if I buy the business and you run my franchise for me and so on and so forth. Yeah. So you could do that, but I think it would be better if that guy has been and worked with us in London, learned all the education, the training, because yeah. then you can follow it through and everything else. So yeah, yeah. each member, whichever part of the world or in the UK, they've actually been what Portonia got for so many, yeah. so many yeah, years. Yeah. We have also essential ways, we, more relaxed, okay. where someone yeah. is a hairdresser uh, and it can be accelerated a, a little bit more mm. to become a franchisee of that one. So we relax the rules okay. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I asked, I'm in the lucky position, I asked some listeners for, uh, for, for some questions, so a couple of quick questions. Yeah. One in particular from Helen Brown on Twitter who says, um, your, 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 you, obviously, you sell products uh, in the salon and then direct retail. Mm -hmm. where, is the revenue, where are the revenues there? I mean, is, the, is, it, is it more profitable to go retail or is the salon pulling in revenues that are... That are how does that balance work out? Depends on how, how much you know. the big picture is. Yeah. You know, if you're going to go for retail, uh, you normally need help with a support mechanism. Yeah. So you can create the products and you can create, and in our case, every product that we use has been used in with the artistic team. We make sure that the product is exactly what we want to use and the quality. Yeah. And sometimes you reject it up to 20 times. <laughs> even, yeah, even yeah. though the top guys there, they get really flustered. Yeah. But we do that because for us, it is our name. It's got to oh, be no, right. Absolutely, yeah. So that becomes a distribution to the public. Now, you need help for that because if you want to be... Um, on um, selling a big quantity to the public. Not everybody knows Tony and got to the public. All the address know Tony and got everywhere in the world. Yeah. I mean, I'm Japan, I got lost and <laughs> 25 years ago and I didn't know where to go. I said, ah, help to address Tony and got, ah! He was screaming his head yeah. off and, <laughs> and, and uh, said, ah, and took me by cab. So that would be really like we have, for example, a, a program with uh, Boots, where we do all that. They have the distribution network. Yeah. But then we are now selling it to the rest of the world ourselves because we've got oh, more connection with that. Yeah. So we buy and sell you with that. So that could grow as well. But if you really want to grow really, really fast, you need to be on Spanish TV, on Italian TV, yeah. and so on and so forth. That yeah. would take a lot of money. When you come to a professional product, it's what we know best, because a product that complements our own hair, we do the collection with the, with the products, so yeah. therefore we then, the addresser will want them because they get education from us, they get support, they get closer to us, we cuddle them, and yeah. then 
you get all over the world. They're known, we're known everywhere in the addressing world. Yeah. There's no hairdresser that doesn't know us. No, 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 no. no so no, effectively, no. they will, and if the quality of the product is the best there is, mm. because that's mm. what we want, the best mm. of everything. Mm. I mean, money will only come afterwards. Let's yeah. do the best job possible. Yeah, 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 yeah. Money, Well, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the thing. money is never yeah. going to get any money, yeah. do you? No, no, true. You got to, I mean, it comes down to that passion, the original family yeah. passion, and the, 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 the belief in, and quality in the service, which, yeah. you, which you already mentioned. One, the final question is this simply, if you were advising somebody who wanted to set up a franchise, yeah. maybe to compete or exceed Tony and Guy, how would you, what would you, what would you, what would you say to them? What would be your advice in terms of what were the key things they really Well, I don't have to advise that because the, most of the people that actually my competitors now are my ex-employees anyway. Yeah. And I don't think they need any more help <laughs> than me. Uh, that is last thing I want to give them. But I think they're doing it everything. And some of them have probably um, looked at it and probably done a few things which was better than us, for example. Uh, did more retail at the front and so on, and we soon catch up and we yeah. uh, also caught up. So I, I think uh, at the moment that the most important thing is obviously retail is very important yeah. um, to retail from that. But you see what other people lack out is the continuous education and training that we have because yeah. we really educate everybody yeah. and educate all my competitors as well. Yeah. It's a little bit of a difficulty because I've got two types of clients. I've got the clients that come in and the addresses are also my clients. Sell them the books, I yeah. sell them the video, I sell them the products. Yeah. So you just have to go and do the best job wherever you go and not worry about it. There's enough for everybody. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you have, you have your real franchises, the Tony and Guy, and then all these other, all these other magnificent hairdressers which are sort of Tony and Guy. Yeah, in disguise. In, some yeah, way, in disguise. in disguise. But yeah. I don't get any money <laughs> no. from that. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> Tony, thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thank you, Alec. So there we are, Tony Mascolo, uh, a great privilege to have him on Small Biz Pod, a, a true business legend. And, uh, of course... Uh, you can tell that he's he spent his life talking to talking to customers, uh, very affable, loquacious, uh, charming. Uh, yeah, good interview. So I, I hope you enjoyed that. Now, coming up very soon, uh, we'll have an interview with Atul Patak, a franchisee. Uh, as I said, to take the perspective from the the other end of the the spectrum, how you can make a success as a franchisee. Uh, but first, let's go to a listener book review. And this is a review of Finance on a Beer Mat. And the review itself is by Small Biz Pod listener Dave Schoolman. Hi there. I'm David Schoolman of Schoolman.com. And I was greatly surprised that the book Alex of Small Biz Pod asked me to review was exactly the type of book that I needed at that stage. How to deal with finance in a small business. Well, thanks for that, Alex. So let's get on with the review of the fourth cornerstone in the BMAT Guides. The BMAT Guide started with the first cornerstone, which was the BMAT Entrepreneur, followed by Sales on a BMAT, Marketing on a BMAT, and now the fourth cornerstone, Finance on a BMAT. So here is the book review of Finance on a BMAT, written by Stephen King, Jeff Macklin, and Chris West. Are you afraid of finance? If so, don't worry. You're in good company. Many entrepreneurs and small business owners are the same. And now, here's the book for you. Jointly written by BMAT entrepreneur Chris West and two experienced finance directors Stephen King and Jeff Macklin, Finance on a BMAT demystifies the whole topic. It shows you how to turn finance from something scary, dull, 
backward looking or incomprehensible, sometimes all four, into a clear, powerful and proactive tool for building businesses. Cash is the lifeblood of every small business. But how do you control it? How do you minimize risk while maximizing the potential of your business? What do you need to know about taxes, national insurance and PAYE? When people start using accountancy speak, when do you need to listen and when can you ignore them? What sort of people make the best finance directors for growing businesses? And if you are a finance specialist looking to escape the corporate or professional grind and get involved in enterprise, how do you go about it? Unlike most finance books, Finance on a Beer Mat is aimed purely at small and growing businesses. It is accessible, comprehensive and written for many years experience in the startup sector. The chapters in the book covers the following areas. Defining a finance cornerstone, Accounting 101 covering the basics, the seedling business covering the business model and financial culture, tax and law covering things such as handling your year-ends, VAT, PAYE and etc. Accounting 102 and the basic management information covering things such as break-even points and cash flow projections. The sapling business stage where the idea is really becoming a business and the young tree business and how to manage profitable growth. Then finally the exit strategy of where to go from here. Appendices include a simple business plan template, a model sales pipeline and a model of the statutory accounts. Although there was a lot of things that I liked about the book, two things really stood out for me. The simple and easy to understand explanation of double entry bookkeeping and the way it links with the balance sheet and profit and loss statement. And also the reiteration of the importance of cash flow in the business as the lifeblood of the company. There was one thing that did bother me, which was the continuous referral to the fact that you need to hire or partner up with an accountant. It started to feel like an employment book rather than a finance book. Yes, the financial cornerstone of a business is of critical importance, but before an owner hire or partner up with an accountant, he or she needs to gain a clear understanding of what drives and impacts the financial side of a business. How else are they going to know that they are making good decisions on sound advice? But that is only a personal feeling. Overall, the book is worth the money spent. Thanks again, Alex, for this opportunity. Well, thank you, David. A, a good, succinct review of a, a useful book. So thanks for that. And I actually tend to agree with you. I think as a, as particularly when you're starting out very early on, you need to be really, really, really au fait with the, the detail of your own accounts, uh, your own cash flow, your own figures. And yeah, of course, you know, you're not actually going to be submitting necessarily your own accounts and you do need an accountant involved. But uh, I think any entrepreneur who uh, overlooks those financial details and doesn't have a strong grasp of them is potentially storing up trouble for themselves down the line. So uh, yeah, cool. Thanks for that. And now for our short, snappy, two-minute highlight interview on importing and exporting, thanks to our sponsors, Alibaba.com 
and we talked to Murat Akuz of Akuz Plastics, a Turkish company which has used Alibaba to expand its export markets. Hello, my name is Murat Akus from Akus Plastics. I'm the third generation of the company. The company was established in uh, 1950. So my grand grandfather and his brother built the company. The company exports uh, garden furniture to Japan, planters to South America, tableware to Europe. Of course, it is very important to sit with a customer and understand, understand uh, their needs. This is the main thing. We have a design team, and the design team can understand the customer needs and differentiate the product and try to find a niche points uh, of each product. Differentiating the product makes the company more profitable. If you are buying raw material based on more than three months' needs, because of the fluctuation of the global raw material market, it may even put companies in very difficult positions. I, I definitely recommend mostly one-month uh, raw material decisions. We try to find some countries that shipping containers empty. Turkey imports many different automotive parts and electronics from Japan, and those containers go back empty. So if uh, we find such a way to sell the customers CNS base, the transportation cost is very, very small amount when you consider the total shipment cost. A lot of really, really practical advice there, uh, both in terms of importing and exporting and managing the risks involved in doing that from uh, Murat Akuz. Many thanks to him for taking part in the interview. The full interview, I will put a link in the show notes too. Uh, thanks too to Alibaba.com for sponsoring. Do head over to smallbizpod.co.uk and click on one of their banners and check out their service. A great way of discovering new uh, import and export opportunities. So there we are. Let's now return to our interviews on franchising, this time with Atul Patak, who is one of McDonald's most successful franchisees. Uh, I'm Atul Patak. I'm a franchisee of McDonald's. Um, I own 15 McDonald's currently. I employ 900 people and uh, my business turnover was £20 million in 2008. Now, Atul, welcome to Small Biz Pod and, and thanks for... We're, we're again at the British Library here and I know you're about to go on to speak, so thank you for, for your time. Um, you've been very innovative within what... I mean, most people would view McDonald's as, as a fairly um, uh, well-formed, long-established... Um, Brand and uh, with, with with products that are the same all over the world, but you've actually been rather innovative in in many of your uh, franchises, haven't you? Tell us a little bit about how you've managed to sort of cut through to to add some of your own entrepreneurial flair to proceedings. Well, when I joined uh, McDonald's and the franchising in general, um, I had one concern, and the concern was that will my creativity be strangled? Mm. And uh, far from my experience with McDonald's is far from it. In fact, uh, I come up with lots of crazy ideas all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, rather than McDonald's shutting me up, they have actually encouraged it yeah. and supported me throughout. So I do come up with lots of uh, funny ideas. We talk about it. And sometimes I learn from McDonald's. McDonald's will say, well, we tried this, but it didn't work. Yeah. And then if I'm persistent, I will try it again. And uh, I have done some things uh, which you won't think McDonald's will allow me to do it, but I've done them. And I'm very grateful to McDonald's for allowing that. 
Give me an example. Um, for example, um, uh, I was looking, I've got a restaurant in an area uh, in South Hall uh, mm-hmm. where most of my customers are Muslim. Mm-hmm. And they'll come to my restaurant, they want to try all my food items, but they can only try fillet. So a lot of those customers were telling me, I said, hey, you know, we have to fly to Dubai to, to try McDonald's. So why don't you introduce halal? Yeah. Now, I spoke to McDonald's and I persisted with it. And uh, we are now trialing halal. Uh, and my customers are very, very happy. They're really loving it. Yeah, I bet they are. Yeah, yeah. And this is one of the examples. Another example is one day uh, I was actually like lots of stone, natural stones. I was, I was in India and I saw some lovely elephants. Uh, some, I saw a guy who took a big block of um, sandstone, he was carving into an elephant. Mm-hmm. I said, wow, uh, I have a lot of customers who are Asian origin, so what, how the two elephants will look outside McDonald's? So I <laughs> bought those two elephants, <laughs> I shipped them over to, to England, yeah. and now I've got uh, two elephants outside McDonald's. And in fact, it's the only McDonald's in the world where there are elephants outside. Yeah. And that restaurant now, locally known by the McDonald's with elephants. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, th- these yeah, are the two yeah. two ideas uh, I can give. I can give you many other examples. Well, no, no. So you're a kind of you're kind of um, tweaking tweaking the brand to suit your customers, which is what business is all about, I guess. Yeah, I, I think that's the whole idea of franchising: is that uh, franchising is about a local person doing business in the local community. Uh, when McDonald's franchise, the idea is that it's not McDonald's corporation. It is Atul Patak's restaurant. Mm. So it's my restaurant, so my customers. When they come to me, they say, hey, Atul, this is what we want. And if I see that there, there is a mileage in what they're saying, I will actually go out and do it. Mm. Because at the end of the day, it's my customers who will make me successful. Yeah. So if I don't listen to my customers, I have no right to be there. Mm-hmm. So of course it's right. There's a McDonald's corporation. And we have, of course, our own systems in place, which you don't want to change because no point in reinventing the wheel. No. But at the same time, there are little tweaks you can do to make it more personalized to your customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, when you have, you know, we have Diwali time or Ramadan mm-hmm. time, and we, we do things slightly differently to, to suit the customers that come into my restaurants. Yeah. Many franchisees look after one shop, maybe two shops, um, and you know, in their, the, in their locality, um, and that's fine. How, how, what drove you, and indeed, how did you manage to achieve 15? Uh, is, that, does, is that something that happens very often? I, I suspect not. Um, not really. Uh, mm. In fact, there are only seven uh, franchises in the UK who have a large number of restaurants, yeah. more than 10 restaurants, and I'm one of the five um, large franchises in the UK. Yeah. Um, it doesn't normally happen. But if you do the right thing, and if you do look after your customers, which we do, and also you play an important role in the community, and again, McDonald's philosophy is, in order for us to be in a community, we have to have right to, we have to learn, earn that right yeah. by working in that community. So I do a lot of work in the community. I work with people like uh, business partnerships, local councils, local police officers, uh, local businesses, and so on and so forth. So yeah. there's a lot of community involvement. And by doing that, I'm making that restaurant a personal restaurant, restaurant yeah. for my customers yeah. rather than a big McDonald's brand, big corporation. So, so, so people locally see Atoll. They don't see, you know, McDonald's, this kind of the golden arches. They, they think of you when they think of McDonald's. Yeah, that's right. Um, there's a good synergy. Yeah. They look at golden arches and they say they know what to get. The, you know, our yeah, standards yeah. are well, yeah. worldwide. They're yeah. non-worldwide. So they know they ex- expect some similar standards throughout. Mm. But then they say, this restaurant belongs to Atul, and they know they can get something extra. 
So I'm actually a brand within a brand. Yeah. So, so is that the secret then of why you've managed to achieve a? I mean, how how did they did how do you define success in order to get the next one, the next one, the next one, the next one? How does that practically? How did you achieve that? Is it just results? Do you say you know this is the amount of profit that I've got in this store uh, or in this restaurant? Um, and you go to McDonald's and say I would like another one, and you just carry on delivering the bacon, so to speak. <laughs> Well, at McDonald's, we have uh, systems for everything, and yeah. uh, uh, we have lots of reports. We have lots of data that we extract from our business uh, that tells us how our business is doing. Now, in McDonald's, we have uh, a terminology called leading edge. Yeah. So we have certain franchises who are leading edge. So the what McDonald's does, they grow with the leading edge franchisees. Now, in order for you to be leading edge, you need to you need to be successful a number of fronts. Um, firstly, operations. Now, we look at a quality, service, and cleanliness we offer to our customers. So you need to be good at it. Yeah. The second most important factor of our business is people. Now, we are in people business. Mm-hmm. We serve millions of customers every day, every year, and we serve, it is served by a lot of our employees. So if you are not people-focused, we will not succeed. So the second thing is people. Then there's financials, how financially, how you're doing financially. Yeah. And the fourth thing is Reinvestment. Are you reinvesting into the business or not? Are you there for short term or are you there for long term? Mm, mm. And finally, the most important thing is community involvement. Yeah. Now, yeah. how much work you do in the community? Now, if you are successful in all these five parameters, mm. then you are awarded leading edge status. Okay. Once you're leading edge, then McDonald's say, right, we've got another restaurant coming up. Would you want another one? Okay. And then another one. Yeah. Yeah, I know that makes sense. So there is a, there are the kind of these these five kind of almost like key, key performance indicators. I don't like the term, but it's but it's that 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 kind of approach. And if you're if you're achieving all of those consistently, then you're you're looked to first for new opportunities. Totally, yes. Yeah. Yes. Ultimately, though, um, you you you're, you're you're being very entrepreneurial yourself. You're yeah. being very successful. You're opening more and more uh, restaurants. Um, but ultimately, do you not think, I, I, I have this entrepreneurial talent uh-huh. and I'm sharing it. Well, I, well, maybe one day I'll just go out and do my own thing. I mean, are, are, you, are, you, are you tempted? I know you're not, you're not going to say, yes, I'm going to leave McDonald's in a couple of years and say, but you know, is there, is there ever that thought, gosh, I wonder what it would have been like to set up myself? Well, um, uh, before I joined McDonald's, I had my own businesses, oh, right? Okay. And yeah. I had two or three businesses. Yeah. Now, the, what is important coming to McDonald's is that you have the infrastructure behind you. Yeah. Now, when I had small to medium-sized business, I did not have infrastructure. Um, getting finance from banks was difficult. Um, trying to get information was difficult. Setting up systems was very difficult. So mm. all those things cost money. Now, with McDonald's, when you join an organization like McDonald's, you have bought into the system. So that's the, that's the positive getting to McDonald's. Now, yes, I do think about, well, what if I do you know, start my own business? But I thought about long and hard, but there's no other business whereby I can double my turnover overnight. So if I have one restaurant... I've got another restaurant, I double my turnover. Yes. Or triple, or in my case, I have increased my whatever, turnover 15, the 15 times. times and maybe 20, 25 times well, yeah, in years to come. Absolutely. No other business you can grow like this. Yeah. 
One one quick question. Obviously, in terms of the other, I guess the other advantages, although the although downturns and recessions uh, hurt big businesses and small, you're kind of slightly, uh, I guess, um, protected from the the worst effects that are currently affecting many SMEs in the UK by running a franchise. Yeah, franchisee, uh, it has some sort of cushion. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm not saying. That franchising is a bulletproof vest no. that you won't get affected. You will get affected, yeah. um, but you have to do the right thing. And uh, I think recession is an opportunity uh, for a good entrepreneur, hardworking entrepreneur. It's an opportunity to do better. And if you're good at it, you can actually grow your market share by being better. Yeah. And I would say this is the last time. Last thing you should do during recession is to cut cost. Yeah. Because if you cut cost, you will compromise with quality. And during recession, believe you me, customer expect more for their money than less. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. One other quick, quick point: as a franchisee, there are potentially, uh, sadly, or, or or maybe in a good way, there will be opportunities for people who are made redundant, maybe who've worked in a corporate world or for other businesses, who will come out of that through redundancy with some money to spend. Very often, that's that's seen as franchising is seen as an op- a new opportunity for those people. What? sort of three tips or pieces of advice would you give as a, as a very successful franchisee to people thinking about entering the franchising market? Not McDonald's per se, but just, you know, the, the, that concept. Well, um, I think it's very important uh, that you need to do, you need to research the potential, the, your potential franchisor or the business you're getting into. Look at every pro and every con of the, that business. Do a thorough SWOT analysis which I mean strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, yeah. and find out what it is. And uh, tip number two, I will say, is that you should always be prepared for the worst. You hope for the best, mm-hmm. go into the business, but prepare for the worst, because if you're prepared for the worst, if that happens, you'll have a strategy in place. Yeah. And thirdly, and most importantly, you need to be prepared to devote 100% of your time and energy in your business and get to know your business inside and out. Perfect, Atul. Thank you very much. Thank you. So there we are. I think uh, the combination of Tony and Atul there uh, provide a great insight into uh, both the franchisor and the franchisee element. A lot of really practical, useful tips there from Atul at the end. So thanks very much. And now to another classic track, which I managed to dig out of the archives, uh, recorded in 2004 by a band called The Pinkertones. And it's a kind of mixture of electronica and house and dub and Latin. Uh, I like this kind of fusion stuff. Works really well. Uh, I think a lot of you are going to enjoy it. So here it is. Viva la Juventud by the Pinkertones. Señores, por favor, no se asusten. Mi corazón se quema. 